All right, this is the message you get for free. <laughs> and I will say, you know, it's true. God knows, God works. Um, as we were worshiping together just a few minutes ago, I turned to Chris and I said, did, did they already pick these songs before we knew we were doing this switch? Because they could not have been more on point. So I'm confident that they have already prepared you for our time together. Um, well, many of you have heard this before, but you may know that we lived in Las Vegas before we moved here to the Bay Area. Uh, we moved there when our older daughter, Quinn, was three months old because we sat down and we were like, where is a wholesome place to raise your brand new baby? And we were like, Vegas, baby. I mean, it's got, it's got baby right in the phrase. It can't be that bad, right? Uh, but I tell you about it because I want to tell you about uh, the show that I was in while we were there. And I, and I know I've told you about it as well, but it actually has to do with what we're talking about today. So before we moved to Vegas, uh, back in Detroit, I did a training conservatory for improvisation. I kind of just did it for fun. Um, and uh, it, was, it was great and all that. But then we moved to Las Vegas and then some friends of mine from Detroit said, hey, do you know they're starting a new show there? You should go audition. So I go to this audition where people from New York and LA and Detroit and Chicago and uh, Bay Area and Canada all came down to audition. I got in my car, went 10 minutes down to the Flamingo and auditioned. And I got cast in this show uh, that was an all-improvised show with an organization called The Second City. Here I was with all the dudes that were in the cast with me. Uh, and. Um, and here's the thing about this show. It was like, whose line is it anyway? For any of you that know that show, where everything we did, we'd get a suggestion from the audience, and then we'd have to incorporate it into a scene or a song or a choreographed piece or a game, whatever it was. And so that's what I did uh, for the bulk of the four years that we were there. And so the, the show was called Scriptless because there was no script, it's improvisation, so we were just making it up as we go. Now, the thing about having a script is it's kind of comfortable to have a script. Like, yes, you have to memorize lines, but at least you know what you're gonna say, you know what everyone else is gonna say, you know when people are gonna laugh or whatever. We were just making it all up. So you just never knew what was gonna happen. And so what would, what would inevitably happen is we found ourselves having it be very difficult to let go of control, especially when things were going wrong. You might be up there and your scene is just bombing and you're up there with your ensemble and you can't fix it. When you're an ensemble and you're all making it up, no matter what one person tries to do to get it back on track and get it good, it doesn't work. And mainly what we found is that the more someone tried to control the scene, the worse it got. But one of the intriguing things about improvisation is when you let go and you just be true to the moment and you listen to each other, something really amazing can happen. And anyone who's been to an improv show, you see about 85% of it that's terrible, but that 15% is like magical. And you think like, how did that happen? You know, the, something really funny would happen or just really creative, or you would just get these glimpses of very real moments that you could relate to. Like I said, in our show, we had music. So we had a piano player that was off to the side making up music while we were making up lyrics, while we were making up choreography, and sometimes when it all worked, it just was if, as if we had practiced it. It was beautiful. 
It was in those times when we stopped controlling that we made room for something really beautiful to happen. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about control. In the show, what we found is that the more we tried to control, the worse it went, and that's what I find in my life as well. The more I try to control people and circumstances and everything around me, the worse it goes, the more out of control I am. For me, this happens a few different ways. Maybe you can relate to these. Sometimes in my day, I wanna control my day. Like I walk into my day and I say, I'm gonna be so productive today. I'm gonna be so productive that I'm gonna be able to sleep at night. My eyes gonna stop twitching. It's gonna be amazing. And sure enough, between parking here in the parking lot and getting to my office, there's about 12 distractions and 87 problems that have come up that weren't on my list that day. Maybe you can relate to that. Sometimes I try to control my coworkers, other people that you see here, and I, because I want them, I, I want them to react a certain way or respond a certain way or act a certain way. It's not that I'm bossy, I just want them to do it my way. <laughs> because my way is the best way. I do this with my family. I, I, try, I try to control Chris and the girls. Again, I want, I want them to respond the way I want them to. I want them to spend their time the way I want them to. Now, maybe those aren't your issues, but, but what are your control issues? That's what I wanna ask you first off this morning. Because we're all somewhere on the spectrum, right? Either we're over here and we're pretty laid back, but there's a couple things that we like to have control over, right? Then there's others of you who are very controlling. You like to have control in a lot of different areas. And in case you don't know who you are, you're the person that when somebody calls you a perfectionist, you think it's a compliment. <laughs> but it isn't, so you know. We're all somewhere. So let's just be honest about our control issues for a second. And while we're doing that, let's be a little bit more honest because don't you find that when you try to control, the more out of control you feel? And really, the less power you feel, which is ironic because a lot of what we're trying to do when we control is to have power, have power over the situation and influence and power over people. The relationship, the situation, whatever it is, but the power that comes from control is not real power. It's kind of like a false sense of power. And that word is a, a mysterious word, power. Listen to what the Bible says about power in Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation. Verse 19, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. This verse is saying that God's power, God's great power, strong enough that it raised Jesus from the dead, is available to us. And yet so many of us are wondering, where is God's power? When I look at my situation that I'm facing that is, that is discouraging and it feels defeating, maybe you're wrestling with a health issue right now for, for you or somebody you love, and it's just so discouraging. And sitting in that uncertainty is really exhausting. 
Maybe you're somebody that in the transition of the pandemic, you lost your job or you had to transition to a different kind of job that's maybe not your sweet spot. And you think, when will God show up in this place where I spend so much of my time? Some of you have little kids, and if you're honest, you're like, they are sucking the life out of me. <laughs> and others of you who have teenage kids or grown kids, and, and your heart grieves because they're not where God wants them to be or where you want them to be. And we find ourselves in relationships, and the, the only word to describe them is messy and they get messier and messier. And we ask ourselves, when will God's power show up in my very real problems? When will I get to experience resurrection power that I read about in the Bible? And there seems to be this disconnect a lot of the time, right? Where we know our problem is big and we think that God can solve it and yet we don't see him doing much to help us. And what I wonder is if this is less about God's power showing up and more about what we're doing that gets in the way of God's power to show up. It's not that he can't move really powerfully in our situations, but could it be that we don't feel more of God's power in our lives because we also want to feel more control? Like sometimes we have such a tight grip on things in our lives that we don't even leave much room for God to show up and do his thing. So I wanna spend time talking about what God might have in mind in whatever situation you're thinking about, the situations that feel beyond you, that feel like that mountain that needs to be moved, that feel too big for us to handle. And I wanna show you how maybe letting go is the best way that you can grab on to the power that God has for you and you can ultimately experience victory and redemption and growth in whatever the situation is. We're gonna talk about a man in the Bible who found himself in a really tough situation and it was very challenging to let go. We're gonna talk about a man named Gideon. And if you wanna follow along on your phone or in your Bible, we're gonna be in Judges 7, but we'll have the verses up here as well. And as we open into his story, I wanna do something again with the theater background. I wanna do something and just imagine that we are about to see his story unfold in a theater. So imagine yourself sitting there, you find your seats, you have one and a half inches of leg room, and the curtain's closed and you hear the murmuring of the crowd and you hear the orchestra kind of tuning up and they're real dissonant and suddenly the lights go down and everything gets quiet and the curtains open and the narrator starts to tell you about what you're about to see. And this narrator tells you about God's people, Israel, who had been for seven years suffering under the control of another people called the Midianites. And the Midianites were oppressive and they came into the land that Israelite, Israel was occupying and they devastated their crops and they took over their land and they invaded so much that it drove the Israelites to go up into the hills and live in the caves and that just allowed the Midianites to come in even more. And when that happened, the Bible tells us that Israel cried out to God for help. And in the middle of all that, God shows up to Gideon and he says, I am with you. He says, Gideon, you are the answer. You are the one that is gonna lead your people out from under the enemy. 
And so in response, what Gideon does is he gets the word out that we're going to build an army because that's what we're going to do to defeat them. So he gets out the word and says, all the men come, we are going to build an army and they come. And he suddenly has an army of 32,000 men. Now, I'm a visual person, so I like to be able to see this. So we're going to put up 320 dots up here. Every dot represents 100 soldiers. And this is Gideon's army, and he's in control. He is the leader. He's the one that God called. And here's what happens next. This is in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, I want to hand Midian over to you, but you have too many men for me to do that. Then Israel might brag, my own strength has saved me. God says, this is too many. If you win, you might think it's because of you, but I need you to know it's because of me. I'm really the one who's delivering. And so Gideon just asks, whoever wants to leave, go ahead and leave. This is his first step of faith. He has to let go. So get this, 22,000 leave. He's left with only 10,000. Our 320 dots go down to 100 dots. Okay, this is his new army. Now, this is a problem because as they were, when they were at their biggest, they were already outnumbered four to one to the size of the Midianite army. So this is a problem. So you can imagine Gideon is like, hmm, this is not awesome. Uh, well, I'm going to still hold to my faith. I'm still going to trust God showed up after all. I'm going to work with what I have. I'm going to give God credit when we win. It's all good. But God said, nah, still too big. <laughs> Judges 7 verse 4, it says, but the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, then he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. God says, Gideon, you are in the middle of an overwhelming situation, and I'm going to ask you to let go even more. Now, as you hear that, don't you imagine what Gideon was thinking, how he was feeling in that? Now, maybe you look at Gideon and you think, I don't know, he already showed his faith quite a bit. Maybe he has a lot of faith. Maybe he has this great faithful relationship with God. I mean, he's got his own story in the Bible. He must be like a spiritual giant of some sort. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. I don't think that picture of Gideon is really a very accurate picture. I'm going to go back earlier, back to chapter 6, to listen again to the very first exchange that Gideon had with God. This is right after the angel. God spoke to him through an angel. It's right after the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then this is what Gideon says in 6.13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? I want you to notice that, that our ancestors told us about. You know what that tells us? Gideon had no firsthand experience with this God. 
He had only heard stories that other people had told him from way long ago about what God did. So picture what's happening here. Gideon is sitting there in front of an angel and the angel's telling him, God has chosen you. And Gideon's like, excuse me, uh, what's the deal with God anyway? Because we're having all these problems down here and I don't know, he's supposed to be helping us is what I've always been told. And so we get this, this glimpse of the humanity of Gideon and we realize he's just like us. He wasn't a spiritual giant. He was new at this. This was the first time he had ever encountered God, had been ever asked by God to do something. Sure, growing up, he was told stories of God's power, maybe like you. Maybe you grew up and, and you were told from other people about how great God is, but have you ever seen it yourself? For Gideon in this story, things that were distant stories of his ancestors came real for the first time. And so you can imagine that probably somewhere in Gideon, he was doubting that God's plan was gonna work, right? Have you ever felt that way, like you kind of doubt God's plan is gonna work? Like you look at your situation and maybe you have a sense of maybe what God could do or what he would do, but you don't see him doing anything and you're like, God, I don't think you realized how significant this situation is I'm dealing with. And he responds back and he says, I'm not sure you understand how powerful I am. And then we're like, I haven't seen it. And I think that's kind of more how Gideon's conversation goes when God asks him again to let go of more of his army. And so Gideon, I imagine, would be like, Fine, okay, whatever, I mean, I'm in it now. Tell me what to do. And he releases even more men from the mere 10,000 that he had. And he gets down to not 5,000, not 1,000, 300. This was Gideon's new very powerful army, ready to conquer the Midianites. They went from being outnumbered four to one to being outnumbered 450 to one. Does anyone see a problem here? God, I don't think you understand how big this problem is. You might be sitting here this morning facing a situation that feels like a huge army that you're up against. And all you see is how impossible it seems. And the further you get into it, the messier it gets, and the more discouraged you are, and the more exhausted you are, and it just feels like it is gonna overtake you. You feel like you lack, maybe you lack the skills or the experience to deal with it. Maybe you lack the time or the resources, even the money to deal with it. Whatever it is, you're sitting there, you're facing this big thing, and all you know is the resources you have are far too small for the problem that you're facing. And if that is you, can I encourage you this morning to let this truth settle in on you. 
that God is not overwhelmed by what you're facing, that he is not surprised or taken off guard by what you're facing, that he has all the power to bring hope into your situation, that he has more victory for you, more resource for you, more peace for you, and more power for you. The Bible uses a lot of names for God. One name that it uses in the Old Testament is El-Roi. Can we say together El-Roi? El-Rohi, and this simply means the strong one who sees. Feel that, hear that, the strong one who sees. Not only does he see what you're up against and he sees what's troubling you, but he is strong enough to be everything you need to have victory in it, and that is significant, especially when you feel like you are so far from what you need. Gideon's resources that he had were definitely not enough. 300 against 128,000. To get down to 300 men, Gideon had to let go of 99% of his army, 99% of his control. Literally, I did the math. It's 99% of the people left. He was down to 1%. Do you ever feel like you are down to 1%? of what you need, of what you think you need. Well, maybe that's not a bad place to be because what Gideon had to do is he had to let God be the other 99%. And maybe in your overwhelming situation, God is saying, I just need you to be the 1% and leave me some room to be the 99%. So Gideon's got this Sad, sad, sad little army. But he trusted God and he believed that God was with them and he decided to be obedient and move forward. He released control over this army. And here's how this thing ends. He tells the men that they're each gonna have three things. In their right hand, they're gonna have a horn, picture like a ram's horn that they blow, not a trumpet. In their right hand, they're gonna have a horn. In their left hand, they're gonna have a pitcher, picture like a clay pot. And inside the pot, they're gonna have a torch. These are their battle weapons. Does anyone see a problem with this plan? And what they're gonna do is they divide into three groups. So they have 100 over here up in the hills and 100 over here and 100 over here and they go at night. And it says in the Bible that down in the land below that the Midianites were thick as locusts. I don't know a lot about locusts, but maybe they squished together a lot. I don't know. It says that they were thick as locusts. And what would happen is when Gideon gave the cue, they were to blow their horn, crack the pot, hold up the torch, and yell. And that's all they knew. And so he's like, all right, everybody go to your spot. And he gives the cue. And this is what happened. This is Judges 7, 21 and 22. While each man in Gideon's army held his position around the camp, they did all these things. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Okay, so picture this. The Midianites are sleeping. They wake up and they hear a lot of noise and a lot of yelling and a lot of crashing and they freak out and they start panicking and they start running and they start killing each other. 
So weird. Why are they reacting this way? Have you ever read this and been like, what? They were scaredy cats. What is, what is happening? Well, here's something that we don't know about ancient military strategy that would really unlock the full picture of what's happening. See, normally, only the commander of a troop would have a torch. So for every one of those 300 torches that they saw around the hills, they assumed that a huge battalion of more soldiers were behind them. Add to it the sound of the crashing and the yelling. It would have sounded like 300,000 men were about to descend on them. And they said, we don't stand a chance. One of my favorite things about this story is that they didn't even have to fight at all. I mean, it would have been a great story if they were like, and 300 men conquered 128,000, but they didn't have to, because this was God's plan. He had a good plan. This was the best possible scenario for these Israelites who trusted. And I think you would agree that with our plans, they're often not the best possible scenario. But we make our plans, right? And we grab control and we force our way and we manipulate people and circumstances to make it be the outcome that we want. And God says, I was ready to show up for you. And I was going to wow you. The theme that we see again and again in this story is this idea of release. Can you say release with me? Release. And oftentimes when we read Old Testament stories, what we see happening physically is a picture of what's happening spiritually. So as Gideon was physically releasing these men, it was a spiritual release as well. And that is how it is for us too. Not so much a physical release, although for some of you, that could be a physical thing you need to release, but it is a spiritual surrender that happens. So let me ask you, what would releasing look like in your life, in your circumstance? What do you need to release? How do you need to release to find victory and leave room for God's victory to show up? You know, maybe you are, you are experiencing a hurt or some kind of wound and there is something in it that you've got to release if you're going to make room for God to bring healing and restoration. Maybe you've experienced loss or grief, and again, there's a release that has to happen so that God can come in and heal. Maybe it's a financial burden, trying to control that, and it feels like your problem is bigger and bigger and your resources are smaller and smaller. And in all of that, whatever you're facing, are you expecting a powerful God to show up? I will say it's really hard to see it when we're busy scurrying around and making our plans and trying to control everything. I hope you're seeing it. I hope you're getting wisdom and clarity about your situation and about what you need to do to release. But we're kind of still left with the question, like, how do we do it, though? How do control freaks like us let go, right? So with our last little bit of time, I want to talk about that. 
Because here's the thing, releasing is not just a one-time thing. It's not like, I did it, I'm good now, right? We know this to be true. It is ongoing, it's an ongoing release. Now, some of you might be discouraged by that because you feel like, I thought I got it all out and then I'm still dealing with it, right? We know how that is. I wanna tell you something that my spiritual director told me once. I shared with her that I felt like it was this circle where I kept coming back to the same thing, the same issue, the same struggle, the same wound, the same fleshly response that I have. And I said, it just feels defeating because you think you're gaining ground and then you're right back where you were. And she gave me a visual that was so helpful and I wanna share it with you. She said, instead of thinking about it like this circle where you're always coming back to the same spot, think about it like a spiral where yes, you come back to that same spot, but now you have grown some. And the next time you come back to that same spot, you're a little bit different. And the next time you have a little more trust, and maybe you can release more that you couldn't before. I want that to encourage you because the releasing is an ongoing thing, and it all comes down to this question that only you can answer. Do you really believe that God's power is available to you? Do you really believe it? Think about that. When you hear stories like Gideon, do you know that that is the same God that you serve, the same powerful God that is in your life? When you read the verse like we did earlier that says that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power, do you really believe that is great? When you read about that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, do you really believe that it is available to you? Because we've got to trust that God's power is big enough to overcome whatever is overwhelming us. And what we see in Gideon's story is that as he took action, as he released, you know what happened? His trust strengthened. In the action, he was proving his trust and building his trust. So if you're sitting here and you think, I don't have enough trust, maybe it's just one action and you build on it. One more action and you build on it. It's that spiral of release as your trust grows. So I want to give you, I want to close our time with three practices that you can put into your life to help grow that trust, to help be steps of action where you can make room for God's power. And the first one is really simple. It's ask God to show you his power. What would it be if every day for a week or even every day for a month, you very intentionally prayed and asked God to show you his power? It doesn't have to be eloquent. It can say, this is what I'm up against. I need to see you today. Let me see you today. And then all you have to do is you got to watch for it. Pay attention. Maybe it will come in big ways. Maybe it will be small ways that you're the only one that sees. Make that practice of leaving room and asking him to show up. Let him wow you. The second one is to pause. Can you say pause with me? Pause. Here's what's gonna, get, here's what's gonna happen. Sometime this week, you're gonna get sucked right back into that situation you're thinking about. Some of you, it will happen as soon as you leave this room. 
And as soon as it happens, your muscle memory is gonna go into all the things you're used to, where you start planning, and I gotta say this, and I gotta do this, and here's what it's gotta look like, and, and strategizing and manipulating and all the things. And when that happens, what are you gonna do? Pause. Hit the pause button on all the dialogue that you're having with yourself. Step back and ask yourself, is what I'm moving forward toward, is what I'm thinking about God's best possible scenario for me? Or is this me trying to force my way and control what it's gonna look like? Am I grabbing on or am I letting go? And in that pause, you might hear God say, no, you're moving forward right where I want you to be. But often, we're not. And it just takes that little bit of pause for us to really see with, with new eyes what God has for us. So we're gonna ask God to show us his power. We're gonna pause when the spiral starts to happen. And the third thing is continue worshiping. Because worship, whether it's singing like we did a few minutes ago, whether it's praying, whether it's reading your Bible and putting that toward God, whether it's even just talking about God with other people, what worship does is it puts our focus on the bigness of God. And it allows us to see how big he is and how small we are. A big part of release is recognizing God as the 99% of the muscle behind fixing what you're facing and finding victory in it. And so to be able to see that and recognize it, worship is a great way to do that. It reminds you that God is big enough to be the 99% and that your job and my job is to be the 1%. Now, as I... As I as you hear me say that, I don't mean only try 1%, like only give 1% effort. No, I mean you have got to be fully faithful. You've got to take risks. You've got to be obedient when you, when you do feel him leading. You follow really hard after God, diligently as best you can. But when it comes to God's power showing up in our circumstances and bringing us victory, We've got to realize that his role in it is phenomenally bigger than ours. And that becomes very, very clear when you worship. So make space this week to do that. Worship God in whatever way you need to, whatever it is to help you magnify how you view God and have your own minimized place of your role in this. Let's stand together as we pray. And I want to read our verse one more time as we close. I want to invite you to close your eyes. Maybe there's just a little more that God wants to say to you in this moment. Here's the verse again. That you may understand the incredible greatness of God's power for you who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Father, we come very aware of your greatness, your power. God, we're sorry for the ways that we get in your way. Father, I wanna pray for all of the situations that feel defeating, where there is heartache, where there is woundedness, where there is dead end after dead end, 
after dead end. God, that you would show up, show up like you did for Gideon. God, when you reveal your plan to us, may we not reply with doubt or fear or hesitation, but instead may we just step full and wholeheartedly into trust for you, knowing that you have our best possible scenario in mind. God, I pray that you would show up and reveal yourself to us this week in big ways, in small ways, in the exact ways that we here need to see you so that we can continue to grow in our trust. God, we desire victory in our lives. And we know that you are the answer to that. So let us see your power. Let us, even in this moment, feel the new life that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.